0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Damage Plan Insurance. Damage Plan Insurance is your local insurance company that will always make sure of two things. That you have the correct coverage and that you're paying the least amount possible for those coverages. Zach is a really good friend of mine. In fact, he's been on the podcast before. I use all of my insurance through him and he's done a wonderful job. So give Zach and his team a call today. 385-243-2900. Again, that's 385-243-2900 or you can find him on all social media under Damage Plan Insurance. Make sure that you're paying the least amount possible for the most coverage, but give Damage Plan a shot and it'll be the best decision you've ever made. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope you guys have enjoyed your weekend and I hope you're ready for an amazing episode. This week, I have Carol Malakasis on the podcast but before i introduce her and how amazing she is i do want to let you guys know of a few housekeeping items if you're not following the podcast please do you can sign up for the newsletter at daltonkjensen.com and stay up to date with my mentality monday newsletter which will take care of all of the news and everything going on with the thinking project Uh, in other news as well make sure you're following me on all social media linkedin instagram facebook twitter You can find me on pretty much any social media platform right now at Dalton K. Jensen. So make sure you're doing that. Last thing, if you're looking for sales training, if you're looking for sales coaching in this crazy uh, world where selling now is probably one of the most effective skills that you can learn in the business world, I can help you out. If you go to empatheticselling.com, you can sign up for the group or you can sign up for the coaching. Uh, and there's an affordable monthly option or there's an affordable yearly option. So whatever you want to do there uh, would be much appreciated. But without further ado, let me introduce Carol Malacasis, who is an NYC startup founder. She is a master and expert in sales. And we had an amazing conversation around everything uh, about sales and business owners and all of that. If you want to follow her and to see all of her really cool tips and tricks with selling, Make sure you go look her up on LinkedIn, Carol Malakasis, and you will not regret learning anything from her. She's excellent, she's a professional, and we had an amazing time. So with all that being said, please welcome Carol Malakasis, and make sure you share this with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. <laughs> Thanks for being here Carol.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I was super excited. I I I found you on LinkedIn, but I believe I found you on LinkedIn through Mark Smith. I think he had mentioned your name in a post about sales. Um I had had Mark on this podcast a, a long time ago, probably he was probably close to like the 100th episode or something like that, and he was really fun to talk to. And so um you know, me being like a really like I love sales. That's what I do right now um, and talking to him. And when he mentioned you, I was like, all right, well, let's let's do it. Right. That's He's what I, I thought. I, <laughs> yeah. How, how do you know, Mark?
1: So I met him through LinkedIn as well. And it's funny you're referencing the post. Here's what happened. And this story <laughs> makes me so happy because I think it's a testament to the power of networking and the power of LinkedIn to promote yourself your career your work to find other peers and to find customers so here's what happened I've known of Mark just because he has a big following he had he's a sales leader he has the experience so I've been following his journey but I didn't know him personally so one day I wake up and I'm tagged in a post by him and the post was mentioned the five people that you know someone should follow. Or that they're a good influencer. And he had he had tagged me. And I was like, huh, that's odd. So I, I sent him a direct message. And I said, listen, I know who you are. I doubt you know who I am. I'm assuming this is a typo. However, <laughs> I wanted to let you know that, you know, it put a big smile on my face. Thank you so much. And he responded fairly quickly uh, and said, it's not a typo. You know, I've been loving your posts and your work. And I was like, oh, wow. So that's how that started. And then, you know, I posted a few days ago without mentioning his name that as a woman in sales, even though I've been doing this for forever, I've been a founder, I've had exits through various startups. So I'm, I'm an expert in growing companies. I've always felt like a fraud because there's not a lot of women in sales because I've always had more male than female workers, etc. So I did another post saying someone mentioned my name and I thought it was a typo. And I think it's because of this idea that there is only so much success you can have as a female in startup sales. And I didn't mention his name, but Mm -hmm. he commented on the post and said, you know, I've been loving your work. And he was just very nice and very supportive. And the post went viral. I think it had like 10,000 views and a bunch of comments. And I woke up to... 500 connection requests on LinkedIn, Whoa! which would have never happened. Right. And I'm not saying this to give myself a pat on the back. I'm saying it that if you use the platform the right way, and if you're putting yourself out there, I think that a lot of awesome things can happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Mark is just a really genuine human being to begin with. Um, I I loved having him on my podcast. We talked about, and I don't want to make it all about him, but it's just a really cool connection that we had. We talked about all of that. And, and so, and he's somebody that I really respect. And that's kind of the point of why I brought him up because when he brought you up, I was like, and and then I read some of your work as well on sales and, and founders and things like that. And yeah, he's, he's awesome. So I'm really glad that we connected, but now, now tell me you, you've, you've done a lot right? You've uh, you've been in sales for a really long time. You mentioned this just now, but exited quite a few companies, founded a, quite a few, um, expert in sales. Um, what 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 are your projects that you have going on right now?
1: Well, right now I'm a managing partner at a company called Ramped. And Ramped is a boutique consulting firm. So what we do is we work with early stage founders, early stage technical founders, someone that just raised seed uh and is on the technical side they're an engineer data scientist they've built the product they understand the possible applications of it but sales is a black box for them so the two main things they struggle with is number one who do i sell this product to and number two after i've identified the different personas what's my process how do i go out and get them from a uh, prospect and turn them into a paying customer So that's what we do. We build out custom sales playbooks for B2B startups. And we do founder sales. We teach founders uh, how to go out and execute. And our focus is uh, to take companies from zero to a million in uh, ARR.
0: What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sauced Up Salsa. And Sauced Up Salsa, with so many different flavors to choose from, when you add in their homemade chips... They're perfect for family nights, date nights, and really anytime you need chips and salsa. The best part, I know the owner personally, and he puts all of his heart and soul into every recipe they put out. Their locally sourced ingredients are fire roasted to perfection every time, making it the best salsa you'll have in your life. So with the best salsa out there, what are you waiting for? Go visit SaucedUpSalsa.com, and when you sign up for their newsletter, you'll get 10% off your order. So go visit com and tell them that the thinking project sent you wow that's crazy okay so i've got i've got a lot of questions because this is going to be a learning time for me um i've been in sales for for a long time over 10 years i've i've been successful but i b- i believe that if you're not if you don't stay a student you that's when you that's the only time you can fail right mm-hmm. um so it's interesting because i've mentioned this before and i and i have like a little sales training thing on the side where I just I help individual salespeople. That's awesome. Um, but you but you mentioned that uh, you help people figure out who to sell this product to and the personas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious in in your kind of view, how you know do you dive into like the marketing side of like a target market? I've always kind of described marketing and sales as like a Venn diagram where you have two distinct, you know, you know there's there's two very different sides, but then they kind of mix in the middle. So mm-hmm. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And and do you kind of, when you're telling people, how do they find people to sell to? Um, how do you approach that process?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question. So at the beginning, because these are people pre-product market fit, you know, they haven't figured that out. There's okay. a lot of assuming. So what they have is they've built an MVP and now they need to go out and sell it. And let's just say, you know, just to use this as an example, that they believe they're selling to technical folks. And now they need to figure out is it the CTO? Is it the VP of engineering? Is it another data scientist? And what are these companies? Are they smaller companies? Are they, are they bigger companies? You know, uh, what other tools do they have internally? They need to figure everything out from the get go. So what I do is I help them figure out what their value add is what problem are they solving for how are they doing it different or better than other similar companies out in the space and that's how we start with our messaging and really figuring out who are we solving this for right and a simple method i tell people to use is you know i'm solving x problem for y group of people by doing z but to go back to answer your question It's it's all like let's throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks and let's get the data that we get from the market and go back and iterate on the product if need be. But in the beginning, you don't know. So what you're doing is you're testing out different personas, different sizes of companies, different markets to see who is the low hanging fruit, who has the highest pain point for the problem you're solving right now.
2: And if
0: you
1: get a response you you double down and focus on that. If not, you keep going till you find the till you find the response that you need.
0: Wow, okay, I like that a lot and and it's really refreshing to hear you say that because a lot of people will kind of not argue with me, but they'll they'll kind of get a little frustrated when we talk like that, right at first, when you say things like at first, it's just trying to see who we can sell to and who this works with, because that's, I think that's the hardest part about sales is really figuring out like at first dialing in who you're trying to sell to Mm -hmm. and dial and dialing all of that in. I love that. And then the second part you teach, you help them build a specific playbook for that persona. And what does that process entail? How do you, how do you start building a playbook besides the first step, right? Which is, which is finding out who you're going to sell to, to begin with.
1: So if you look at a B2B sales playbook, there's really four main pillars to it. Step one is what we talked about. It's lead gen. Who am I Mm -hmm. selling to? Where do these people live? How do I message them? What is my message? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? Is it, you know, what software am I going to use? Basically, how do I start having these conversations? That's step one. Okay. Step two is, you know, you have Dalton and he says, hey, I'm interested. I'm curious to learn more. So step two is qualification, right? How do I know that this person is an opportunity at revenue for me? How do I know that they really have a problem that I can solve? So the idea is having a conversation to identify needs, identify pain points. And I think that honestly, this is where most people miss. And I'll tell you why founders that I work with, because they have no sales background, they naturally do not have a sales intuition. So when they hop onto these calls, their first thought is, okay, let me show that person a demo. And then I come in and I say, well, how can you show someone a demo if you don't really know what their needs are? You're just going to blindly pitch? Right,
2: and, that's right. where,
1: and that's why people are going to ghost you." Because <laughs> You haven't really understood what their needs are, if your solution can help them, what does the decision-making process look like for them, how big this problem is, how urgent it is, if they can afford what you're offering, et cetera. So that's why we have the discovery before to see if we can help the client and if we can to really identify, okay, well, what do I need to pitch? Yeah. What- they're looking to move forward with a solution like this do they really have a big problem how big is the problem and can they afford it so step step 3 in the process is in the is the qualification step 4 is the demo and the demo is always let me take what that prospect communicated to me during the discovery call and create a personalized demo based on their needs. And again, I've seen it and I've done it as well when I was selling as an individual contributor where you just have your cookie cutter pitch deck and you show <laughs> it to everyone and you start by talking about your company and you know why your product is cool and all these other companies that work with you. And the person on the other end of the line is thinking, I don't care. All yeah. I care about is to see if you can solve my problem, right? I don't care about the bells and whistles. I don't care about your story. Just show me how you can help me achieve whatever it is I want to achieve. So the way I I structure my demos and I tell my clients to structure their demos is, of course, your product is not going to change, but your positioning can be very consultative. And there's a phrase Mm -hmm. we like to use at Ramp where we say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So show the person that you're caring and that you're truly a consultant by pairing your solution as a response to what they communicated to you during the qualification call. Mm -hmm. And then the next steps are, you know what's the right pricing for my product because also at the beginning, there's a lot of trial and error, right? You don't Mm -hmm. know how to price your product when you start. So again, it's testing out the market. And there's little sub steps like setting a proposal, negotiating, and of course, the final step being closing the deal, right? Converting a prospect into a paying customer. And if you get those more enterprise deals, you can have other steps like uh, construction of a map, mutual action plan, validation event, et cetera. But if you see at high level, the B2B sales cycle, mid-market, you have those four main steps, prospecting, Mm -hmm. lead gen, demo, and close
0: yeah I love that. And I love that you mentioned, by the way, because this is one thing that I always um, <clears throat> you know, I trained salespeople for a little bit. and I couldn't agree more that the number one thing salespeople miss or business owners in general is that qualifying step because it's just unbelievable. It's I heard um you know, it's an old like gamer thing, but I heard Jeb Blunt, I think used it, and he said it's like the spray and pray method. Yeah. Right. Well, you you know what I mean? You don't really know what they need. And so you just start talking and, you know, and, and that doesn't work. I mean, people can kind of see right through that. And, and especially if you try to jump right into like a pitch and then you try to jump into like maybe a close because you can't really close somebody if you don't know what their pain points are. In my opinion, at that point, you're just kind of throwing like really hard closes at the wall and that, and that just, it doesn't really land well most of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are your, what are your main um, pieces of advice for qualifying? Like how, how do you qualify a customer, a potential client?
1: I think the basic parts of qualification are really understanding what their current situation is, pain points, bottlenecks, what's working, what's not working, what they like, what they don't like, like understand where they are today. And understand where they want to be, the desired situation. And what happens is you have these two points. You can call it current and desired. You can call it beginning and end. You can call it point A and point B. It doesn't matter. But the idea is that there's these two different states and they're in the middle. There's a gap. There's opportunity. And your product belongs, becomes the bridge to get them from A to B. And Mm -hmm. if you're able to demonstrate Mm -hmm. that, you're going to win.
0: Absolutely. And you'll win and you'll win more than your than than other clients, because most people don't qualify, like you mentioned before.
1: And listen, here's the thing. If you're in a very B2C transactional sale, like I remember, I've called called a lot and I would sell into the restaurant industry as part of different startups. And usually in that faster sale where you get to the decision maker fairly quick, the qualification and the demo can often happen on the same call because mm-hmm. you know their needs, they're more universal, they're easier to figure out, there's not multiple decision makers involved, the sales cycle is shorter, we're not talking mm-hmm. about a million dollar piece of software, so <laughs> you don't really need it there, right? It can just be a couple of questions and you can pair them either on your initial cold call or with the demo that's fine but when you need to be more consultative when there's several people involved in the decision making process when budget is higher when you really need to understand what's going on for them you really can't sleep on the discovery call
0: mm. yeah <clears throat> especially when there's more at stake like so so in and in, in some of those enterprise sales it can take a few discovery calls right because you're meeting with the right decision makers you're trying to get strategic alignment um with with everybody at the at the company there um but but absolutely i mean you're totally right either way it needs to happen because i i'm more of like my specialty really kind of lies in like b2c or Mm -hmm. um or smb sales like smb Mm -hmm. market right like if we're selling to uh you know small stores or or restaurants like the smaller ones. I don't have a lot of experience in enterprise, but when I when I've when I've dabbled in there, when I've had to take over the calls, yeah, it's a whole different ball game like you really do have to like slow down to speed up, right?
1: And I would argue that the SMBs can be harder because <laughs> making cold calls is hard. <laughs> yeah. Getting all that rejection is hard. You need to be fast, you need a different sort of mindset. Uh, which you know, I think that if you start from that more transactional sales environment, it's easier to transition to the mid market slash enterprise versus mm, the opposite. Like, I'd be really curious to see someone that's selling to the C suite pick up the phone and make one hundred and fifty cold calls to <laughs> restaurant owners that are gonna sell, that are gonna like you know hang up on them nine times. Uh, yeah. By
0: 10. Uh-huh. Yeah, make 150 and uh, and 149 say no.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's interesting. That's interesting that you say that because it was a it was a pretty smooth transition for me. I came from like I started selling way back uh cars.
2: Oh and, man, that's so tough.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so like I start and it was this weird like car sales is a very weird sale. Like it it's is. it's it's retail, but it's also like a lot of co- a lot of calling, a lot of like following up, a lot of like outside stuff. Like we were always out in the community trying to like promote and things like that. But you're right. It was a pretty it wasn't a hard transition. Like I had to learn some of the nuances of like an SMB SaaS kind of transition, outside sales transition. But um, it's interesting that you say that because now, now I want to see it. I want to see some somebody because I guess, you know, yeah, it would be really hard for a C-suite if you're if you're you know or somebody who's just like relying on a lot of referrals or something like that to to transition to a to a more like high high uh, hands-on sale, right? And hands-on by like lead gen, right?
1: I mean, the hustle that you need to have selling door to door, selling in person, cold <laughs> calling, it's just not the same when you're doing <laughs> that, you know, longer sales cycle consultative sale. Yeah. Obviously, you know, there's other things that you need to have as requirements for that. But I find that, and obviously, I asked if that's the sort of environment I was trained in, but I find that the cold calling, the high volume, the learning the scripts, the learning how to pitch, the relentless over and over and over going after people, the practice you learn so much and you develop such thick skin that when you transition into the enterprise sale, you're like, Oh man, this is easy. This is easy. <laughs> like, And this is why people say cold calling doesn't work. No, cold calling does work. You just suck at it because you don't want to put in <laughs> the work and learn how to do it.
0: That's right. That's I never really understood the argument. I had somebody one time there was a, there was like a, a disagreement in our, there was a question in a local like networking group here in Utah and somebody, somebody brought up cold calling. And, and what I have found in my experience of people who hate cold calling are the people who've never done it before. Mm -hmm. Like, or maybe they've gotten like a bad one because somebody was Mm -hmm. like, I, somebody really told me one time they were like, I never buy from somebody who employs cold calling as like a sales tactic. And I go, I, there's zero stores. There's like, I can't think of one. I'm like, do you shop at Walmart? Do you buy any products from Walmart because somebody had to cold call Walmart to get their product into Walmart. Somebody had to like interrupt an executive's day at Walmart and say, "Hey, I want to sell my product in there." And 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 got it. You know what I'm saying? Like even like yeah. your little stuff. They have like I know a bunch of food manufacturers like chocolate and things like that. They cold call restaurants and grocery chain stores, and pop-up stores to get their products in there, right? I'm like... Cold
1: calling absolutely works. I mean, it depends yeah. on uh, the industry you're selling into, to your point. But, you know, three startups I, I worked at as a, as a founding member that all three of them scaled and became acquired. Uh, <laughs> we, we sold by cold calling. We'd call yeah, restaurants all day, every day. We'd call restaurants, nail salons, hair salons, uh, garages, um, doctors. <laughs> Think of companies like Yelp, right? Yelp. Or or ZocDoc. Or, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, there's so many. How yeah, do you, well, how I... you reach those people if you do not pick up the phone?
0: Yeah, I... I... <laughs> Don't have to ask me that. I I pick up the phone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's uh it's just a weird every time I see somebody who's like cold calling is dead or something like that, I'm like, You're just not doing it right or something, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know.
1: Listen, it's hard. It's not pleasant yeah. getting hung up on all day every day. I think yeah. you know it's it's very mentally taxing and it combines fear of public speaking. You know, if you're in a room full of sales reps and you're calling, it's fear of failure. It's 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 Mm. very, very hard. But I think I truly believe that because it's very hard, if you're able to do that successfully, you can sell anything to anyone. Everything else will seem like a piece of cake.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, Okay. what, what sales books do you recommend the most? What, what sales books do you find yourself recommending all the time?
1: You know, I never really recommend sales books because... Okay. I recommend psychology books because sales is human psychology. And every buying decision that we make is emotional. Like, think about it this way. If I want to, you know, if I get a big bonus, right, and I want to mm-hmm. go buy myself... An ice bag, I don't know, right? Or when someone says, I'm saving up to go buy a nice car. Or when someone says, I'm going to go buy a watch. Like (laughs) any watch can tell time. You don't need a Rolex, you don't need a car. (laughs) It's this emotional status thing, right? And that's the case with all our buying decisions. So when I started selling, someone said to me, you know, try to understand human psychology. So a book I read early on, which I love, is influenced by Dr. Robert Cialdini, mm-hmm. who is a uh, doctor of psychology at Stanford, I believe. And he came up; he did a lot of research on sales floors, um, different cold calling businesses. Uh, uh, the industry we're just talking about. My brain got stuck. You know, selling cars. Oh he yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to salespeople. And really study them and figure out what are the different principles of selling. And there's seven different ones. So I think that's a great book to read. Uh, a book, a book I recently read that I loved, and again, it's not a sales book, it's called Atomic Habits by James oh, yeah. Clear. Because sales is about setting the right habits and you know, setting the structure to, to enable yourself to be successful. So Atomic Habits helps you do that. It understands why we build habits, how our brain works, what's an easy way to do it, how to keep yourself accountable, et cetera, which is not directly selling advice, but it's the building blocks that you need to be successful in the health environment.
0: Absolutely. I love both of those books. Um, Influence, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits brings up a really good conversation we can have. at, as I'm speaking to an expert in sales, because a lot of the goals that we have in sales are out of our control, but it's still a results-driven industry. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't be results-driven. I'm, I'm probing into the idea that our goals should be more like James Clear talks about, which are habits, right? So, like, um, I talked about this we, in an interview I released today in a, in a, video, a YouTube video I did earlier about like these kind of sales cultures that have <clears throat> like if you only make one phone call that day and you sell one like are you done right like I don't care if you make 50 if you hit your quota like 50 dials or whatever if you hit your quota and I have just never really understood that mainly because like the high performers I know and that I and and when when I've done these mm-hmm. it's like you have to just make them right like habitually we make them regardless right so Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like the goal, like goal setting in sales when a lot of it is out of our control.
1: If I get my job done with 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 less, uh, should that be should that be accepted? Is it I just want to make sure I give you a straight answer.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that was more of an example. My my question is, how should salespeople set goals?
1: Okay. So I think that if you do the work, you'll get the results, right? Yeah. Um, take it a step back. The goals are typically, unfortunately, not set by you. They're set by your company. You have certain quota you need to hit. For right. me, now that I'm I'm my own boss, right? I work with my co-founder and CEO at Ramp, and we we sell clients to our solution. We've come up with goals for ourselves. And the way I'm looking at those goals, because I'm, you know, I'm my own salesperson, uh, I'm thinking, what are the actions I need to take that will get me there? So, for example, if I need to close 10 clients a month and, you know, I'm just making this number up, what are the actions I need to take to close those clients? For example, how many messages will get me a discovery call? Or how many calls do I need to make to set up a discovery call? Or how many emails do I need to send? How many discovery calls convert into a demo? How many demos convert into a paying customer? You need to know your metrics. And that's what's going to determine the effort that you put. How many dials you need to make? How many hours you need to spend practicing your pitch? Whatever it is you need to do, right? But your outcomes or your goals will determine your systems right? and you need to have, you need to have systems in place um, to, to be able to accomplish what your goals are.
0: Yeah. And I guess that, and I guess that was like the, the main question, right. Was because it's just so crazy. Like people focus, like salespeople get so focused on their quota and they, and they should be focused on their quota. Right. Like I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but I, but, we get so focused on that that we kind of lose sight of the habits that we have to, to um, like implement so that we can hit the goal.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, 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 uh and, and I guess that's where I get like all kind of fired up is because I just, you know, it, you can't be, you know, and, and atomic habits, like James clear mentions this where you can't be like, static with your goals or like with your habits, right? Like habits are something like you do every day. And, and uh, I think that good habits are like good goals are are good, are centered around like your habits. Um, so that, and I guess there might be a little difference between like the quotas that we have and then the goals that we set for ourselves to hit the quota. Right.
1: I think he mentioned something really interesting where, you know, I don't remember verbatim what he says, but the idea is. Let's say you want to lose weight, right? You want to lose 10 pounds. And you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna eat less, or I'm gonna eat healthier, or I'm gonna go to the gym X amount of times a week, et cetera. These are the things I need to do to be 10 pounds less. But the truth is, or a better way to think about it is if I was a person that weighed 10 pounds less, what would my life look like? What would I be doing? What would be my everyday Habits, structure, or whatever you want to call it. So, you want to envision yourself, you want to adapt the identity of the person that's already there and act as if. Mm. And to me, that's really helpful because I'm thinking, okay, if I want to hit my 10 clients a month, it's not just about my metrics. What do I need to put myself into the best position to win? So, for example, I'm a morning person, my brain works best in the morning. And also, I don't get distracted in the morning because if I start working early, most of my clients are asleep. So I don't get distracted by Slack, LinkedIn, you know, whatever it is. So I know that if I'm at my desk by 6 a.m., between the hours of 6 and 9 a.m., I get so much work done and I still have the whole day to do whatever it is I need to do. Not only will I end my day earlier, but if something comes up and I need to stay up, you know, later, I will. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't sleep and we should work all day and we should wake up with the crack of dawn and work. No, it's whatever works for you. But for me, that's a system that works, that delivers the goals I've set for myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. What do you think about the current uh, atmosphere of Not of companies not being able to hire salespeople.
1: Are you talking about great resignation and just talent (laughs) being super thin?
0: Yeah, but I feel like it's affecting the sales world a little more than... There is a great resignation kind of all across the board, but Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a shortage of salespeople. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
1: I don't think there's a shortage of salespeople. I think that Post-COVID, we're in an era that no one could have ever imagined two years ago. And people just have a different attitude towards what's important to them. And it used to be a relationship where, you know, you have your boss and you do what your boss says. And I'm not saying you should defy your leadership and go against them. But I think the relationship is more equal, where if companies want to attract top talent, they need to pay better or be more flexible and hybrid versus being in the office for example or more days off or better benefits or, or whatever it is people just have more choices and i think we're all changing uh we've all changed our priorities what's important mm-hmm. to us what do we want work-life balance to to look like so you have more choice you're saying no, I'm not going to go work for this company that wants me to be in the office five days a week because I've realized for me, it's more important to spend more time with my spouse, mm-hmm. things like that. So that's why it seems like there's less sales talent. I don't think that there's less sales talent. I think that people are more picky as they should be mm. for what types of companies they want to go work for.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. I, I like that. So kind of shifting, because um, I just have a lot of questions that I wrote down, no, go for and, it. And, I, and I know we're going to, you know, come up on time quicker than I want. But when you're starting a company uh-huh. and you're going through the growing pains of that, what's what's if you could pinpoint one, like the most important thing that a that a new startup could do to suc- to ensure success or to at least give them the, the best chance of success? What would that be like? Is it a trait? Is it, a, is it a process that they need to have nailed down? Um, what do you think it is?
1: That's such a loaded question. I don't even know <laughs> where to start, but I'll try my best. All right, deal. I think that, and I'm saying this because of the work that I do, because I work with founders and I teach them how to sell. Yeah. I think the founder's responsibility to learn how to be not the CEO, but the chief storytelling officer. Mm. Like I think it's so important for early founders to get their story straight, to get their elevator pitch straight, to figure out what their value add is, to figure out who they're selling to and, and go mm. do that. There's a big misconception. I don't know how it started, but it blows my mind every single time where I talk to people. You know, they've built an MVP and they have this perception that customers will just come. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, no, they won't.
2: <laughs> like, no, they
1: won't. Go <laughs> yeah. find them. Go talk yeah. to these people. Yeah. And when you know how <clears throat> to sell as a founder, it becomes a superpower because before you build your team, you're always selling. You're selling to the press, you're selling to the first customers, and eventually you're going <clears> to <throat> sell the dream to your first hires and convince those people to come work for you. So you need to learn how to communicate what your startup does, why Mm -hmm. you started, what you're solving for, what the future looks like. I think that's your number one job. And you don't need to have VC money. You don't need to have fancy marketing or PR if you can afford it and you have it even better, but you don't need it. You Mm -hmm. just need to go out and start and see is my assumption correct? Do people want this product that I build? What do they need it? What are my next steps? You need to figure that out. That would be sort of my two cents.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right on though, because that's been my experience. Like I work with like small business owners um and who small business owners who specifically like don't want to sell. And I'm like, look, that's fine if you don't want to sell, but you need to know how to do it and you need to get the first few. Uh, Because to your point, when you're selling that vision to new employees, it's really hard to grab a seasoned sales consultant, right? Mm -hmm. And bring them in to nothing. Like, that's really hard to
1: do. (laughs) That's the number one way to to have employee churn. Because here's the thing. salespeople, no matter how seasoned you are, first of all, you don't pay them enough for them to come (laughs) in and build processes for you. Secondly, salespeople don't know how to do it because they haven't had to do it before. And imagine if it's a super technical product. No one knows your product as well as you do when you're a founder. So if you want to attract top talent and you want to make it easy for them to succeed, you need to have some processes in place and you need to be able to explain to them, this is how I did it versus them coming into nothing.
0: Yeah. Excuse me. I like that you said that, like, this is how I did it. Because you, it's really hard to bring a team on that's like, you know, and I've talked about this too. Like I went to school for um, accounting and finance and, you know, as a business owner, the the most important thing you can do is like know enough about everything, you know, uh, because you want to have like intelligent conversations. You want to know like what's actually getting done. You want to know how it's moving. Um, and you can't do that if you really, if you don't know sales at least, right. And you haven't done it at least same thing with accounting or finance, like really hard to have an intelligent conversation with your accountant if you don't know what mm-hmm. a balance sheet is, right. Like, <laughs> you know, and so uh, I like that. That's interesting. What, what made you want to get into sales in the first place? I guess I could have asked this earlier, but I was really excited for the conversation. What, yeah. what, what pushed you into sales?
1: accidental and to be honest with you i don't know of anyone like anyone (laughs) that grows up saying oh man i want to be a salesperson when i grow up it's my dream no one ever people want to be all kinds of things but i think that because there's so many negative stereotypes against sales and selling it's not typically someone's dream i kind of fell into it um I have a degree in something very much irrelevant to what I do right now. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And my first job out of college was um, selling cheese for my for my sister's company. I was working for her, selling cheese, demoing the product in different uh, grocery stores. And a few months in the job, I realized that Non dairy milks was something that was missing from the market. So, my boyfriend and I at the time, and we were both super young we're like 22, 23. We decided to start a company manufacturing a non dairy milk and and selling it to health stores. So, we rented a little kitchen in Brooklyn and we were manufacturing and distributing and and selling that product. And somehow that company got acquired, God knows how. And after that, (laughs) I I joined my first startup, so I fell into it. And I always say uh-huh. I was an accidental founder. And at the beginning, I was an accidental salesperson, but I, I really liked it. And I realized that I get paid to talk. And if I talk <laughs> well, I can make a lot of money. So, you know, I, I learned how to do it and, and I've been doing it. it for a while.
0: I love that. That's really fun. I think... So so wow, your first business was a manufacturing business, was a non-dairy milk manufacturing business and a distribution business?
1: We had a tiny little kitchen in Brooklyn and we were importing nuts from Spain and we were making this nut milk and bottling it and packaging it and going into wow. little stores in New York and, and selling it. And asking, wow. Would you like to try some?
0: <laughs> That's an easy sell. Yes, I go. would.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's so awesome. Holy cow. That's a lot of fun. And uh and since then that that's that's kind of all that's history. The rest is history. You got into fur, you got you started selling cheese, started selling uh your not your non-dairy milk, and then that was it. You just got the bug. And it's funny that you say that because I had a story growing up where when I was when I was growing up in, in high school did um, like here they have, or at least, I mean, I think they have them in all high schools, but they do like the most likely to blank awards in high school. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And when I was in high school, I would just, we didn't call it selling. They just like, I grew up in a really poor town in Iowa and it was just hustling. Like that's just what they called it. Right. And we would just sell whatever. Like I remember I saw one day at, at the playground, the school was selling like treats
2: uh-huh.
0: and uh, and they were so expensive. And I knew that I could buy them for cheaper and 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 sell them and make a profit and still sell them cheaper.
1: That's ever. awesome.
0: <laughs> so I started selling my first sales job was uh like illegal candy sales on the playground.
2: <laughs> there you go. And, like, why not?
0: Yeah, I, that's what I said. I was like, well, we can do it. And so and there were ring pops. I don't know if you remember the, I think they're still around, but like ring pops. And uh, anyway, though, so that happens. And in, in high school, we just sold, I sold whatever. Like one time, um, bought like a bunch of, my mom bought a bunch of like store pull ties and I would sell ties on the corner. And um, anyway, that was like my story. So I get, I graduate high school and they do those like most likely two awards. And mine was, uh, most likely to be a con man.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Because nobody knew what sales was in my hometown. See,
1: that's the negative connotation with exactly. sales. You think of the sneezy salesperson that's trying to trick you and take your money. And that's not what it is. I mean, sales right. is the lifeblood of every business. No business yeah. can survive without
0: sales. Absolutely. And I, that and that was just the point that I was trying to make. Is it's just funny that. That that's like the perception people have. Of like I wasn't conning anyone. I was like I was doing what Walmart was doing. I was buying cheap candy, <laughs> selling it and selling it at a at enough margins so where I could restock my candy up. and have a little bit yeah. left over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was beating out the local competition. That's capitalism. I don't know what to tell you on that one. <laughs> that,
1: that's called being smart. Yeah, why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, and so we just had fun. But it's just that it's just that kind of like. Um, that, yeah, that connotation behind salespeople. And I think where people get, you know, cause I had friends like, how, how can you buy it so cheap and sell it, sell it for more than you bought it? And I'm don't like, know. i I'm like, listen, for better, or for worse, this is the society that we live in. Like we gotta, we gotta figure out how to make it work. But I, I thought it was anyway, it's just to your point. It's just funny that, that there were in these like situations. I love that story though. It's, it's, it's awesome. What do you think has been the biggest uh, contributor to your success? Work just working. working just hard at, it. yeah, more like, than but, anybody else,
1: you know what it is, so I had started that business, we made a little bit of money when we sold it, and when I started cold calling and and I joined my first startup essentially, I was very bad, I mean, very bad. We've had like a three month ramp, and I was in month two, and I had closed zero sales, and I was thinking. I'm going to lose my job. So I, I had two managers. It was a very small team. We had two managers at the time. And I went up to both of them and I said, y'all really need to help me because I can't lose this job. And I remember, uh, I got, I, I went in for an interview on Christmas Eve and, uh, this was back in 2013. And I remember telling my boyfriend at the time that if they give me $30,000 as base, I'm going to be happy because that's what cold callers were making back then. Yeah. They gave me 40,000 as my base. And I went home thinking that's so much money. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so much money. How lucky am I to have gotten this job? So I started working there and I really wanted to do well and it was very nice. Uh, But, but I wasn't. So I went out to both managers and was like, I really need this job. Please help. me. So I would stay at the office till 10, 11 o'clock every night. Listen to calls, listen to other people's cold calls, practice the script with the managers who were both generous enough to help me there were a couple of people that were top performers and I went up to them and I was like, can I listen to your calls? Can I shadow you? Can I buy you lunch? What do I need to do to figure this out? And I swear to you, by the end of three months, not only did I not get fired, but I had hit my quota. I got a promotion right after that. And I was one of the top female reps countrywide. And it's not like because I was smarter than anybody else, but I mm-hmm. wanted succeed so bad that mm-hmm. I did. So that's why I'm saying it's work. And I, and I believe that wholeheartedly, unless mm-hmm. you need some specific talent, right. <laughs> to be a singer, you need to sing well, to, you know, act, you need to have a certain talent, unless you need to certain talent to perform a job. There is no reason why you cannot succeed. And I think that's especially true in sales, where to your earlier point, you're always learning. I want to get better. There's, there's a thousand different things available to me. There's mm-hmm. books, there's podcasts, there's webinars, there's workshops, there's free stuff and paid stuff. I can get a mentor, I can read on LinkedIn, I can listen to my own calls. There's nothing keeping you from being successful. It's just yourself. And sales is the number one place where that is true. We're not doing open heart surgery. It's not.
0: hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, yeah, I just couldn't have said it better. People just need to work and you just need to be scrappy and you need to figure Mm -hmm. out, figure out if you're willing to do whatever it takes.
1: Yeah, yeah. being scrappy is huge. We used to say that in one of the startups I used to work at that I, I really love being there and they're doing amazing things. We used to say being professionally scrappy, like mm-hmm. where your customers don't know that you're being scrappy and you look all <laughs> cool and composed, but really you're hustling. You're yeah. hustling and you're not necessarily showing that, but you're doing whatever it takes to get the meeting, to get the deal, to show up, etc.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think you're 100% right. Well, um, I, I you've been more than generous with your time. I'm really glad that you decided to come on the podcast. Before uh, I let you go, where can people find you? How can people get a hold of your services at Ramped?
1: I'm on LinkedIn more than I should be. I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> all day, every day. So my handle is just my name, Carol Malacasas. Um, If people want to send me a connection request or a message, I respond to everything, Uh, you know, would love to connect. And then our website is www.rampd.co.
0: Cool. Wow. Well, thank you so much again for being here. I really appreciated it. And uh, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thank you so much.